Hi, everybody. My name is Traven Rice. I'm the arts and culture editor and host of the Lowdown Culture Cast, and we're here at P&T Knitwear um, at 180 Orchard, and we're in their community podcast studio. I encourage you to go to their website, pntknitwear.com, and check out their many offerings, including almost nightly events uh, with wonderful authors doing readings and interviews and book signings. And they have a great cafe, and they just started serving uh, beer and wine. And I think they're going to be doing a happy hour. So it's a great spot. Um, come check it out. And now I'm really happy to introduce my guest, photographer Whitney Brown, who's here with me. Um, Whitney Brown is an experimental and commercial photographer whose work explores themes of movement and gesture as reflections of mental states. And her work invites us to join the conversation she's having with her subjects. Her philosophy, let's meet at the lens, is an exploration and connection that challenges her subjects to be active in her creative process. I wanted to invite Whitney, I'm so happy to have you here, um, you. because we met you quite a few years ago mm -hmm. um, through the lowdown, mm -hmm. and we were doing a story um, on Paul Taylor, because the Paul Taylor Dance Company had just moved down here to the Lower East Side, and you had been documenting Paul Taylor and the, and the company, but really kind of behind the scenes and his process. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And how long, how long were you doing that project? Yes. Um, gosh, I was lucky enough to be able to go in to witness Taylor working with the company for, I want to say, seven to ten years off and on. Mm -hmm. And then really towards the end of his life, um, when he was creating some of his last works and also working with what I knew to be some really stronghold company members, people who had been there for a while. You know, I recognized them as being the Paul Taylor Dance Company. So I was extensively in there for the last three years mm -hmm. of his life, mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah, at a really, really special time mm -hmm. to document. Yeah, he wasn't, I mean, I was told when I went in there that, you know, he doesn't like photographers and didn't really love women. So when I went in there, I had was tasked with like really to, be there, get the shot, but also hang back and be respectful to the process that was happening. So I definitely um, have many portraits of the back of this man's head, <laughs> almost out of frustration and then also out of appreciation because I couldn't go in front of him. So I literally had to photograph either from the side or the back of him the entire time I was in there. The entire time? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't evolve? I mean, did he start to acknowledge that you were there or how did it end up? I just knew the terms that I was in there for. You know, sometimes you want to push boundaries and fight things. And there were definitely times where I would scoot in, but it's atmospheric in the room. Like the rehearsal space is precious in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of emotions and things going on that to have a witness in there, like I, I respect the role I'm playing. And so if I'm given terms and I agree with them, um, I will follow them. You know, so I was okay with it. It gave me, it gave the images their, their look, you know, because you get access, but you don't always get 100% full access, you mm -hmm. know, and so it makes mm -hmm. sense. Like, mm -hmm. I was okay with it. Okay I'm so it. interested in that term that you used um, as a witness, as mm -hmm. being, as, is that how you kind of uh, talk about being a photographer? I think I wear many hats, which I'm happy about. Um, I've had 
professors and mentors in the past say, pick a lane. And I love so many aspects of photography. You know, so I love the way that it can be a witness and you can be there and you're always sharing your perspective. You know, the, the truth is from what I'm seeing through my lens. Uh, and then I also like that you can just mix it up and get experimental and just, you know, use it as a space-time machine and, and say things in a different language. But when I'm in the studio, I, I dip in between both. Like, I try to be there, see what I'm seeing. Honestly, like, please the client. You know, I'm in there for a reason. There's an intention. And then once I feel like I get that, I'll, I'll mix it up. Like, I'll do long exposure. I'll do more time. I'll realize what's going on in front of me is another medium. You know, it's another visual language. So then you can sort of meet, meet the art where it is. You know, mm -hmm. and so has that always been? Um, was that your focus from the beginning? As it was dance, um, in in, in no, particular, not at all, not at all. I am. I never ever thought that I would be as entrenched in the scene as I am. My mother is a modern dancer, and so is my sister. So I grew up in a theater world, and in going to dance classes, I had to go. It was almost like daycare for me. And I was definitely the, the preacher's daughter, like getting kicked out of class. And so I have grown up around dance with the little baby in the modern dancer belly, you know, and my mom was still moving. But I don't like to perform. Mm -hmm. So it was an odd relationship. There was tension there. And then when I moved to New York, my sister was a modern dancer. So I would kind of hang out with her friends and I was comfortable. But I was a hardcore street photography and film. I mean, I didn't mm. pick up a digital camera and I didn't shoot... I didn't shoot to record movement um, until I moved to New York, but until that, I was really, really, really active street photographer. Mm -hmm. And I think it paid off because there's a certain level of anticipation you have to have and like shamelessness when you're on the street mm -hmm. or creating that kind of work. And it fit for performance because it, like what happens on the street, it, it's gone. Mm -hmm. So performance, you know, you have to, you have to catch it. Right. Or else, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. I mean, listen, I have to tell you, though, every time I'm reading about a dance company that's well-known in New York City and I look at certain stories, there's your photo of them um, quite often. I'm happy about that. You know, there's some, the dance photographer scene in New York is strong. Are, are amazing shooters. I'm happy to be a part of it. You know, I feel like I've worked my way, you know, up and into it. And I think it shows when you care about the other medium, mm -hmm. you know, like mm -hmm. I really respect dance mm -hmm. and I respect dancers. So I know that I'm coming in at a very specific time in that process. Mm -hmm. And so I want to execute. And then, yeah, how often are we not reading the reviews, but there's a great photo or, you know, so you want, you want to help. I want to help the community of, you know, yeah. with the work. Yeah. So, so I think witnessing comes from that place of, um, I don't, I don't know until I see it. Mm -hmm. with dance mm -hmm. yeah but you ha I think it must also the witnessing aspect of it has to come from a specific place so it's not just the anticipating it's so, it's sort of this open place where you're able to catch it mm-hmm mm -hmm. you learn the language like with Taylor to loop it back to Taylor um, the images could be wrong like, you look at the work, and if the visual language isn't right, you know, like, literally a head could be not at the right angle, or maybe the dancer is giving a smile when the piece is serious. But I remember showing my portfolio when I first went in there. Um, 
God, I mean, years ago, years ago, but I wanted to show Tom Carvalho, who was my mentor at the time, was an amazing performance art photographer. He was Paul Taylor's photographer for many, many, many years. So when I mentored with Tom, he threw me the bone, and that's how I got in with Taylor. He was like, hey, I like go in and you just you do your thing in there. You treat them well. You, you just go shoot. Um, I'm so sorry. That's how I kind of would get in. But I really had to learn and witness that it's disrespectful in a certain sense to like not honor the, like I said, the language. So Taylor has, it looks a certain way for a reason. So when I showed my first portfolio, um, they nixed like nine out of the 20 images because it was something little off. So to the layman or to us, we thought it was a great photo, but it was little and I got cut. And so I really just, all that just helped me learn and, and ideally get sharper. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. with it. So you have to learn their language and say like, oh, that's that's the thing that they're trying to present. And so that's what so. I'm capturing. I would hope so. I just want, I also have my sister who was a modern dancer in my ear. So I'd be going through editing photos and she'd come up to me and she'd be like, no way, that's not a select, look at the foot. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And again, it just goes back to that moment of like, you want to honor them. I've mm-hmm. only got a moment. You know, I want that foot looking good. You know, it's like yeah. I don't, it looked good. It probably did look better than I shot it. You know, you kind of have to meet it there. So mm-hmm. I think that's where the dance photography, um, you, it, it, you, there's a training that's mm-hmm. involved and a training that only comes from witnessing. Like mm-hmm. I do a lot of watching when I don't have the camera to my face. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. So as far as um, you were talking about <clears throat> street photography and, you know, and portraits. Mm-hmm. You've, mm-hmm. You seem to have um, ended up doing quite a bit of that downtown. And one of the projects that I think is really wonderful and I'd love to hear more about is Ray's Candy Store. I love to talk about it. I love Ray. So <laughs> a lot of people who live um, in the East Village and downtown know and love Ray. Um, he's, a, he's had a, it's a more than a bodega, but it's a, it's a bodega I would call it. Would you call it a bodega? For over 40, like 40 years? He calls it a candy store. Like, if you asked Ray, he would call it a candy store, mm-hmm. um, which is the reason why I'm calling this little book I'm making about him candy store. But it is, I guess it's hard, more a restaurant than bodega? Even though you could get candy there you, and cigarettes. I guess it is a glorified bodega. I mean, you can get whatever you want, but he has his specialties, and um, he's been there for a year. So, you know, in New York, that's what we do. If you live on the block, you go mm-hmm. get your stuff, whatever you want, your daily, your coffee, your ice cream, your, mm-hmm. you know, um, he did donuts, right? Or beignets. Beignets. Beignets, and he's known for his Belgian French fries and deep fried Oreos mm-hmm. and then soft serve and then egg creams. Yep. So if you're you know, into New York egg creams, then you, you go to Ray's. Mm-hmm. And ideally, you want it made by Ray. Because when I would work there, literally some people would like not take the egg cream because they were like, no, Ray didn't make it. And I'm like, I swear to God, it's a good egg cream. Like, I swear. <laughs> so how did this start? And I didn't know you worked there. Worked as a, let me redefine that term. I, I like to say I volunteered, but there was, the labor was there for sure. But he didn't necessarily hire me. Um, so wow. Ray's yeah. is located on Avenue A. Avenue A and 7th right across from Tompkins Square Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just right up 119 Avenue A. Is and Ray is how old now? Ray just turned 90. He will be turning 91 in January. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, truly. And that sometimes when I'm relaxing or having a bad day, I will literally think about Ray. And I'm like, wow, he's in the shop right now. You know? And that, he's been there for 40 years? 
I think closer to 43 maybe. Yeah. That's amazing. Truly, truly amazing. And he lives around the corner. Yeah. And it's open all hours. Is that right? Mm-hmm. It's open 24-7. So that's what, where it gets interesting, right? The characters can come in. True. That's when I, that's when I would <laughs> After hours. come in. I first met Ray. I had been in New York only like a couple of months. And I was, had met my mentor, Tom Caravaglia, who was on 12th and Broadway. And so after I was done working with Tom, I would just walk the village and... I would get egg creams. That's what I would do. I was kind of broke, but I would like treat myself to something New York. And I was at Gem Spa and they were like, oh, if you, have you tried Ray's yet? And I was like, no. So I like, you know, the next time I had a few bucks or whatever, just like went over to Ray's and liked the, liked the atmosphere. I was just like, oh, this old guy doing his thing. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to come, this will be like the spot I come to. And then I hung out a lot in Tompkins Square Park. Mm-hmm. I would like do photography and just kind of hang out, um, really just to work through some anxiety I was feeling, you know, so I would just kind of, that's what I did with photography, on, I would just kind of shoot, and I liked the vibe, and so I would just go to Ray's, and I was doing that for years and years, but he didn't really know me, I was just one of the faces there, mm-hmm. and then when I had really bad mold in one of my apartments in Brooklyn, Tom Caravaglia and his wife Doris let me stay there, in the, in the loft, in the back of the photo studio, and there's no real natural light back there, and so 2 a.m. looked like 2 p.m. and I would just like messed with my mind and I had incredible insomnia so I would just leave and so from like 11 p.m. or midnight whenever I couldn't sleep I would just walk over to Ray's because I knew it was open mm-hmm. and I would get something there and then one day I was hanging out with a friend and I went into Ray's and he just like invited me behind the counter he was like I, I remember you i know you he's like and no one was in there and he's like hey why don't you make your own egg cream why don't you make your own fries and i loved it i was like yeah sure let's do it so i just hopped behind the counter and i just started going and then people started coming in and i just had such a good time that my friends didn't know where i was and i was like yo i'm at ray's and i was like i'm staying i was like i'm just gonna stay the night and so he we just had a simpatico it just kind of worked out and then again i would have an insomnia moment and so i would go to ray's and i'd be like so this act of volunteerism started kind of happening because he, you know, he liked me. He's like, hey, why don't you come work for me? And again, the same situation I did with my other mentor was like, the second you pay me hourly, you own me. Mm-hmm. That is my mentality. So I was like, no, no, this is like, this is joyful. This is a, I want to show up the way I want to show up. So I can't technically say I worked for Ray. Um, he many, many, many times, especially when I was shooting film there, he would always just like stuff the money in the tip jar in my bag, mm. you know, or he would like force me to take a certain amount of money. Um, but that's how I ended up bringing my camera, my Hasselblad, and it was just truly, I brought that camera with me probably 20% of the time I was actually there mm-hmm. and just started shooting shooting through my depression, shooting through my anxiety, you know, just, I had no intention of doing anything with these images, except that it was a really cool thing that was happening. Like the street was coming to me, you know, and all these characters during the graveyard shift between, you know, like 10, 11 PM and like 5 AM. It's juicy. Yeah. It's juicy. It's also kind of freaky. I'm sure. Know? I'm sure. Um, and then also that real sweet time of getting to hang with Ray. Cause I would often come in so he could lay down. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was that act of, I, I love Ray. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really consider him a friend. So, how many years did you do that for? And how did you decide on what images made the cut? I went in, like really started volunteering, let's say, from like 2012 to like 2017. And there were stints in there where I would be in there every day. 
for months and then I wouldn't be in there for months you know so it was that kind of relationship again of like he got me when he got me kind mm -hmm. of thing um and then one time he went into the hospital and so I literally ran the shop for like a month and a half which mm -hmm. was like exhausting um well, I'm sorry what were you asking me yeah I mean I can imagine wow um so you you were <laughs> very invested in this I got and it became a project I'm sure it wasn't the intention you asked me about the images yeah how did yeah. you how did you end up deciding on those final images well one of my best friends Megan Norbit was living with me at the time and we had been going through that whole um apartment scandal together with the mold and after she moved away she was just she loved the images because she was the only person seeing them like I would just like develop the film and like show her and she's like, this is really something. But I was like, yeah, whatever. So like, what is it like almost 10 years later? I'm like re-looking at the work during the pandemic. And so I had like over 300 images. And these are like, I'm shooting on film and like really kind of weird lighting. You know, so every time I got a photo, it was like a victory for me. I was just like, <laughs> yes, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so I went and looked at all of the images I had. Like I said, over 300, which seems like nothing compared to the amount of time I spent there. And I needed help with the process. I'm sure. not always great in believing in my own projects from the beginning. So what I did is that the Bronx Documentary Center, are you familiar with them? Mm -mm. Amazing organization. Like Mike Camper up there, what he has started is like truly pivotal, in my opinion, like of just community organization and real amazing photographers. Anyways, Bronx, Bronx Documentary Center, like for sure, they brought in two amazing book designers from the Netherlands. And I signed up for the course and I just went up to the Bronx every day for five days and like had them help me. Because what I really learned, sorry, the long, the nut of this story is that I couldn't pick the images. Mm -hmm. I couldn't pick you the just work. You needed an editor. I really needed help. an editor. And I realized like, I think I could do it if it was something maybe a little bit, I don't know. I just really needed that extra eye. You mm -hmm. know, didn't I didn't want it to feel like a complete diary. And I was, I had been so bored of these images to be honest with you like I had, I've lived with them mm -hmm. so they have mm -hmm. different connotations for me I didn't even know if they were any good whatever that means mm -hmm. so anyway I had them I had help mm -hmm. and so I really trusted this man and he helped me lay out the book and I switched out a couple of things this being said that was for it being self-published mm -hmm. I talked with another photographer who I really admire Brian Fink and he suggests that I get a publisher he's mm -hmm. like you will feel more satisfied if you get a publisher so I have the dummy copy of the book I made mm -hmm. and I've just been sitting on it like looking for a publisher which I really really hope to get out by next spring because mm -hmm. Ray will be 91 mm -hmm. I want this I want him to reap some of the rewards of it you know I obviously want to sell this book and then mm -hmm. have it go for profit mm -hmm. and like give the like large percentage of the proceeds to Ray so even though he won't stop working it'll like yeah. you know whatever Wow. Okay. Well, I want that too. Thank you. Yes. We, I, I'm putting it into action. Well, I love yes. the photos. I think they're fantastic. Thank and, you. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan. And I want to talk a little more about um, the work you do as a witness. I think, I don't know. I just want to acknowledge um, the fact that I, I, I knew you through the lowdown and I knew you work. And when I was diagnosed um, mm -hmm. with breast cancer and I was about to go through treatment, there was just a little voice in the back of my head. I don't even know how it came about, but I decided to shave my head as opposed to try to save my hair during mm -hmm. chemo. Um, 
and I just thought it might might be a good idea to document it. And so you were the one that I asked to do it, and I'm so grateful. And I'm flattered. Just looking at those today, what was what's an experience like that? Um, What's that like for you? An experience like that. Thank you for asking. Um, Ultimately, I first say flattered. You know, to have someone think of me in a time where they want to be seen is powerful and incredibly activating. I mean, it honestly gives me goosebumps right now. Like, I don't try to take it lightly. Um, I'm, I'm flattered. I get this feeling of, like, an open vessel. You know, you just want to go, like, open palm, open vessel. Like, if you need me, I can tighten up. But, like, just just to kind of hold that space, mm-hmm. you know. And, like I said, I can press in more if need be. But, yeah, just, just flattered, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did a, it was just a beautiful um, balance. You know, I was just glad you were there and certainly didn't get in the way of it. And I'm so grateful now, looking back. I was looking at them today, the photos, just to have those. It's really, really special and important. I feel like and, I grow. You know, truly to witness those things where I'm like, wow, I really have, I have not had the experience that you're having, you know, so to, to be able to watch it, your partner was there, you know, in the space and you, you know, that whole moment I think was, I witness a lot of bravery all the time, you know, when people do things and they're afraid or something, you know, I I find it amazing. Also in dance, you know, it's like people who leave it all out there is like very attractive to me Mm -hmm. or I tend to gravitate towards it. So Mm -hmm. I think when that little voice, like you mentioned, comes into your head, it also is a nice way to think about photography because sometimes we're so overstimulated and photography is forced in our face all the time. The fact that you want to remember something and it can be for you um, feels like a loving gift in a way. Like even when I did, like I shot a dance show yesterday and when I'm at my best self, I feel like I'm delivering a gift. You know, mm-hmm. even to a client mm-hmm. is like you want to like you want them to like be happy when, or like you want them to like have the experience that they were hoping for. Right. Or like you want to just like rock someone's world, you know, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> of like, whoa, that's we all look it's ubiquitous. Right. We're always looking all the time. But it's like the lens is amazing. Yeah. Well, you see what I see. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. So I, like, like that experience of being able to witness um, you getting your head shaved, like helped me grow. You know, like I almost I'm almost. I'm not like I could take it on like mm-hmm. I had had it, but I was able to see it. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so that old adage, I guess, seeing is believing. Mm-hmm. It, well, it takes a certain, it. I just think it takes a certain type of person to be able to be present in that way because it's such a, it's such a scary, fragile, delicate, human, uh, vulnerable mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> so. no, I, I appreciate you mentioning it now, but um, was a, I hate to say I loved it, but, you know, it's like I'm there for it. Like, I'm there with love, you know, no, ideally. that's what I yeah. recognize. That's what I wanted to recognize. Speaking about sort of being present for personal experience, I wanted to ask you about the project that's very personal to you, which is, um, and I've seen some of the photos and, and video, which I think were so lovely, mm-hmm. and that's they're documenting um, your grandmother, your mother, yourself, and your sister. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, generational girl group generational girl group <laughs> yes my sister and I one year decided to take a little road trip from like Las Vegas into central California which is where my grandmother lives and along the road we started making these funny little videos just with each other kind of like movement scapes 
in the landscape. That was my idea. I was like, oh, I don't want to take still images. I want to kind of play with these still frames and then have the movement in it. And I want to be in it. I don't know why, but I just wanted to be in it. And so that's what we were playing with. And when we arrived in my grandma's house, we were all there, like my mom, my sister and I. And so I just, I knew I could have, I don't know. I just had a couple of minutes where I was like, everyone's game. Let's just do this. And so I came up with like a little choreography and truly just set up my iPhone. And I, we do like one or two takes. That's it, you know, um, but they became these little moving family portraits, which were nice. All the women in my family have a rejection of photography. It's like frustrating for me. I think there's something, I think da dancer dysmorphia is real, to be honest, where I feel like people like don't see themselves the way that other people see them. You know, they really get entrenched in what they look like. Mm. Maybe that's also why I try to come at photography or like dance photography, particularly with like a boom because I'm like no see what I see you know like I want you to see what I see you mean the rejection of photography I mean they're, they're very they just hate having their picture taken self-conscious totally and like are very uncomfortable in front of the camera but if I have them moving they're okay because they're movers mm -hmm. so I was like let me be a little uncomfortable and get in there because my mom and sister were comfortable and my grandma was just game but just generational girl group videos were great. Um, I ended up putting them in a couple little shows, but they bring me delight and joy. And it's nice to ha find like people relate to them too, in, in a way um, of maybe synchronized movement with the women in your family. Uh -huh. um, it, it feels good. You know, that's why I do them. Maybe. And you're going to continue this documenting? I have tried. My grandmother has gone into retirement, as she likes to say. Mm. Um, she can't move as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I don't want her to not have her dignity in that. So I think I stopped asking. Mm -hmm. But I, I joked. I was like, all right, we got into an art show. We're done. You know, like, let's hang up the hat. Um, but I have a feeling that my sister and my mom and I will continue to. My grandmother is 98 and, you know, getting older, things are changing. So it'll be, I did kind of have this thought where I was like, wow, I hope to do another movement video to express the void when my grandmother's gone, mm -hmm. you know, because I think that practice can keep going. Mm -hmm. It's a nice visual language and like physical language. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Now I have started photographing still stills film. I spent five weeks in California with my grandmother just in June. And I watched that transition of, you know, this incredibly, incredibly strong woman um, have to decide to like fight using a walker. You mm -hmm. know, she can't drive anymore. So I just had to express, I don't know, I just, I just started shooting. I brought my film camera up there and I was trying to be present and spend all this time with her. And then she watches like crazy Fox News and stuff. So I would have to go outside. And during that time, I just decided to photograph the house, the house from the outside, my shadow. I realized like this is the house my mom grew up in. And so, gosh, when I got this film back just a couple of weeks ago, I almost started to cry because it's like some of the most emotionally like impactful film for me. Mm -hmm. I had been shooting commercially and that was it. I realized I hadn't really been shooting for myself. And so now I'm really taking the camera back, honestly, just to heal and to grow a little bit. I've spent my whole life running away from my family. And now because I have the camera, I'm ready to go. And maybe it's helping me this conversation really see that like I need to witness that. Like there's something there I need to see. And so I'm just so happy to be connected to my medium again, even to the point where like I don't talk to my father that much. And this year I'm going to go spend Thanksgiving with him and his wife in Las Vegas. 
and I'm going to bring my camera. And that's truly one of the only reasons why I feel like I can go is because I want to take portraits. Mm -hmm. I have no idea what they're going to look like, but I have like having that experience photographing the women in my family. Now I feel so compelled to like go back into scorched earth, you know, a little bit, a little bit, you know, but like keep it going, keep it going. And maybe I could even bring that movement practice in with my dad. So I'm just, I'm at my best when I'm curious Mm -hmm. and I'm really curious. So fantastic. I'm, yeah, I think it'll be healing in a way. And I hope then it, you know, creates ripples. I'm not necessarily the artist who has like the most insane like thesis statement about their work. You know, I kind of have to like make and then compile. Mm -hmm. I just go out there and then have to kind of put it back together. Mm So, okay. We'll see. (laughs) Well, um, please keep us posted. I will. I'm really excited about this work. I'm I'm just like giddy. Please keep sharing and keep doing that and keep making the space for your personal work because I think it's fantastic. And I'm really glad you were here with us today. Appreciate that. Thank you so much.